Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. I want to start today talking about a concept we have heard a lot about uh, over the years and heard a lot about specifically with regard to the last presidential campaign. Do poor people, and white poor people in particular, vote against their own interests. They vote for politicians who promise to cut federal aid and other kinds of things that end up benefiting their homes, their cities, their states. The election of President Donald Trump has pushed this and other political paradoxes like it into the spotlight. We heard a lot last year about the power of Uh, white rural voters, for instance, and uh, white suburban voters in lower socioeconomic uh, counties like Macomb, for instance, uh, voting for Donald Trump. Are they voting against their own interests? Are these people somehow fooled or bamboozled into supporting Republicans uh, in Washington, thinking that they will somehow benefit because those politicians will harm other people and not them? Or are they just not understanding how things work? Republican control in Washington, D.C. means hundreds of thousands of people in red states who benefited from things like expanded Medicaid under the federal health care law. They now risk losing their insurance just as much as poor black people in cities like Detroit or Flint. Also, a majority of women, white women, voted for Trump after numerous reports of his womanizing and demeaning language toward women. A lot of those white women live in these areas. Why does it seem like some people want to vote against their own best interests? Or is it that we are defining those interests from the outside? Are we assigning what we think their interests are to them and not really understanding what they're doing or why? I want to spend about half of the show today, or a little more of it, in fact, talking about this phenomenon, why it happens, and what it means. And joining me up front uh, to talk about this is Arlie Russell Hochschild. She is a sociologist and the author of Strangers in Their Own Land, Anger and Mourning on the American Right. Arlie Russell Hochschild, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, I'm Happy to be here, Stephen. Absolutely. Also, uh, give us a call. Uh, Join this conversation. Talk about this phenomenon that we see uh, right here in southeast Michigan. All of the attention after the election was on Macomb County, our neighbors in Macomb County, uh, what they did to make help make Donald Trump the president of the United States. Uh, call and talk about what you think they thought they were getting. If you live in Macomb County, uh, especially we want to hear from you about what you thought you might be getting out of this presidential election. Did you vote for Donald Trump? Uh, Did you think that uh, the things that he would do would help you and your community? Uh, Did you take a look at, for instance, how much federal aid uh, Michigan gets, how much federal aid Macomb County gets, how many people in Macomb County, for instance, have benefited from the expanded Medicaid program that's a part of the Affordable Care Act? Uh, Give us a call and let's talk about that. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today 
will work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Arlie Russell Hochschild, uh, I want to start with you talking about uh, your book uh, and, and this phenomenon. Uh, a lot of people say it's a misread that we're not really understanding uh, these people, these voters. Uh, you have spent a lot of time uh, talking to them, researching uh, these areas. What, what is it that you're finding? Well, you know, this uh, very question that uh, you're asking, kind of the red state paradox, um, was on my mind five years ago when I realized that um, I just didn't understand it. Um, what I mean by the red state paradox uh, is that it, um, the Republican states are the poorer states uh, with the worst schools, the worst uh, medical help, uh, the most disrupted families, uh, and uh, lower life expectancy, more um, pollution. I, and they were states that used uh, more, were given more federal aid than uh, they, from the federal government, uh, than they paid in taxes, and who were the most suspicious of the federal government. And so I thought, well, I don't get it, and I'd like to understand. Mm -hmm. And so I went to what seemed to me uh, uh, a extreme right-wing state. This was Louisiana, where uh, that paradox was even more extreme because it is the second poorest state in the nation, and uh, 44% of the state budget comes from the federal government, and it's overwhelmingly Tea Party and overwhelmingly uh, supported Trump in the last election. So I thought, this is perfect. I'm just going to take off my own political alarm system and really get to know people. And what I found is that this paradox was absolutely plain to the uh, to the uh, 60 people that I came to know over five years uh -huh. uh, who were right-wing, um, th that they understood it, but it wasn't important. It wasn't the main thing. Something else was the main thing. And what was that something else? Well, it was that... Um, you know, actually, they knew that their state was getting this aid, and they were embarrassed about it, right? So uh, the something else that was more important was what I came to call the deep story. And under right-wing politics and left-wing politics, I believe, is an emotional kind of deep story. A story, what's that? That's You take the facts out of it, you take the moral judgment out of it. It's just reality, the way it Feels. And for them, it's like an allegory. You're waiting in line as in a pilgrimage. Uh, uh, at the top of the hill is the American dream. And you've been waiting a long time. The line isn't moving. And then you see some people that seem to be cutting ahead of you in line. That would be blacks through affirmative action, women through affirmative action, and uh immigrants and refugees, and you say, wait a minute, this is pushing me back in line, and that the person who's supposed to be impartially uh, supervising this line uh, seems to be waving to uh, the line cutters. So Obama, Hillary, seem to them uh, to 
to not represent all people, but to be, in essence, um, engineering their downward mobility. And I think that a sense, that feeling, uh, that deep story, uh, trumped, as it were, um, this red state paradox. That's uh, uh, they and made them distrust anything the government does. Didn't yeah. feel like their government, which is why I called the book "Strangers in Their Own Land." And, and that idea of resentment, of resentment of. Uh, racial minorities, of, of women, of religious minorities. Uh, we hear that a lot. Uh, and, and, of course, if you talk to people, though, in these situations, uh, voters in, in places like Macomb County, for instance, uh, the first thing they'll say, though, is that this isn't about race for them. This isn't about gender. Mm-hmm. Somehow uh, it is about government. It is about uh, jobs. It is about the economy. Um, uh, they would they would push back, I think, awfully hard against your assertion that that they are distracted uh, by this 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 line cutting that you describe. Well, I don't think so because actually, when I uh, put this deep story to the people I had come to know uh, very well, they said, "Yeah, that's my deep story." Right and. And and they they embraced it. And the deep story doesn't say they are racist. It means what it does say is that they feel pushed back. They feel almost like a minority themselves, uh-huh. unrepresented. And they didn't feel like there was an alternative. They didn't feel like the Democratic Party gave them a sense of recognition as uh, as a sector of society that was fearful for its place in uh, as it faced kind of uh, new trends and globalization. They, they felt uh, vulnerable, uh, both socially and economically, and they felt invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Arlie Russell Hochschild. She's a sociologist and the author of Strangers in Their Own Land, Anger and Mourning on the American Right. We are talking about uh, white voters, poor white voters in America, uh, voting against their own interests, or at least appearing to vote against their own interests, supporting Republicans like Donald Trump, who promised to cut federal aid uh, that uh, their counties or their states uh, often benefit from. Why do they do that? And is it really uh, about uh, them voting against their interest? Or are they, in their minds, voting their interests in another way? And of course, we want to hear from you today to talk about this. Uh, what do you think about this phenomenon, the people who seem to depend on government programs for some things in their lives, voting for politicians who promise to get rid of or uh, greatly curtail those programs. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, and go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Let's go to Danielle in Royal Oak. Danielle, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you, Stephen, for having me. Sure. So, kind of going off of what your guest was saying, um, I I used I was a resident of Macomb County before I moved to Royal Oak, and 
Um, I kind of saw a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans. And a lot of the people I know who used to vote straight Democrat were white, middle-class, suburban people, voted Republican in this election. And having discussions with them, I come to find out that, like what your guest said, is that these people feel pushed back by the policies that Obama has enacted, um, giving leverage to immigrants, um, minorities, uh, sexual orientation minorities. So it is right. kind of, it's more of like a frustration to them is what I'm seeing, um, why they voted for Trump without really realizing what some of his policies will do. I'm a social work student. We talk about some of these policies that benefit not only um, financially displaced people, but just basically any, anyone. Um, Right. And it just it come it really hurt me to know that people voted against their belief for someone that they feel will um bring them up more. Yeah. I mean it just the whole right. thing about repealing the Affordable Care Act, you know, most people because it's called the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare don't really realize it's the same exact thing. So when these people are all excited about repealing Obamacare, they don't realize that, oh my gosh, I'm on ACA and I'm being my insurance is being taken away. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that's the right. I think that's the fear. Danielle, thank you very much for uh, for calling and making that great point. Uh, Arlie Hochschild, I hear you uh, agreeing with what Danielle is saying there. Yes, yes, and you know, um, in uh, uh, I actually just got back from Louisiana talking to um, a man who uh, is kind of an analog to. The people Danielle has been talking with, uh, they're about to lose their insurance. Well, the people in uh, Louisiana that I interviewed for strangers uh, were in one of the most polluted uh, areas uh, in the country and and second highest death rate in cancer for men. Uh, It's the center of the petrochemical industry. And if any place needs uh, strict environmental regulation, it would be here. But the people I talked to said no. One of the first things Trump has said he would do is abolish the Environmental Protection Agency. And so when I have just uh, spent a week down there, I've asked, gosh, do you really want that? I mean, how could you? And uh, how, how does this make sense? And people would say, well, he doesn't really mean it. Right. You know, and they would say, you know, uh, Trump is certified crazy, one man said. You know, he's a flawed candidate. He wasn't my first choice. But on the other hand, he's uh, he, he sees us. He He's uh, on our side. And if he, and he's not going to do uh, the things he said he's going to do. Yeah, I hear uh, that from a lot of. I hear that from an awful lot of people who who seem to think that uh, you know he's indulging in some sort of political hyperbole to make points, right. but that once he's sitting at the desk in the Oval Office, he's going to be a more sort of judicious uh, right. uh, president. And and again, I mean, is this that is this sort of a furthering of? That uh, that self kidding uh, to to try to justify a decision that that deep down they know is about something else. That's right. It's about feeling displaced and not having um, 
you know, some other party, the Democratic Party or anything else, say, you know, we get it. We see what you're afraid of. You're being displaced. There seems like um, you're facing growing automation. You're worried. And we're going to do something about it. It wasn't in this election, they felt, uh, an alternative to Donald Trump, who who, who would look out almost for him. Bri- yeah. 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 Uh, um, Danielle, thanks uh, again for the call and for the questions. Uh, let's go to John in Rochester. John, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Um, you know, you you uh, you made a comment that uh, earlier I had to laugh out loud. You said that perhaps people don't get how the system works. And I grew up in Macomb County. I, I grew up in a... In, you know, in a, in a union household, I had an immigrant parent, and uh, we do get how it works. And how it works is people want jobs. They don't want welfare. They don't want handouts. And that's the underlying focus there is give us a job and not a government handout. Uh-huh. And that's what they believe that Trump would, would deliver to them is jobs. They don't want government <laughs> interference in their life. They don't believe in the government handout system. They believe in working hard and, and, and having opportunities. Well, and, and I don't see it about a black or an immigrant or, or anything other than a job. Right. John, I think that's a great uh, point. And, and I, I don't remember the saying that they don't get the system. I think what I was trying to say, and maybe I uh, articulated it poorly, uh, was that perhaps they don't understand uh, the benefits that they get from uh, government. In other words, so if you, if uh, I don't know if you read Bridge Magazine, um, but but last week they had this wonderful map uh, of the state of Michigan by county showing uh, which counties benefited most from the Medicaid expansion that came with the Affordable Care Act. And Macomb uh, is right behind Wayne County, for instance, uh, in terms of the number, the percentage of people who are taking advantage of the expanded Medicaid. As you go further north in Michigan, uh, deep, deep into uh, what is solidly Republican country, uh, the percentage of people who benefit from that program uh, goes up. And so I guess what I was saying is why would you vote against or why would you vote for somebody who is against that program, who says, I'm going to take that away from you? Uh, and in that oh, way, excuse yeah. me for interrupting. Go ahead, Arlie. I think Steve yeah. is saying, this is Arlie here, yes. um, that actually um, they want jobs and not uh, welfare. Yeah, that's and what John said. They don't want to right. have to need welfare, and they want help with that. Um, but uh, I think then the question is, um, uh, why don't uh, people see that actually uh, Obama uh, lowered the unemployment rate right. and um, you know got our economy uh, back on track uh, from 2008. Yeah. John, uh, he was he was interested in jobs too. Sure, John. Do you do you uh, do you agree that uh, that that things are better now than they were eight years ago? Or are you or are you feeling uh, like things are not progressing quite the way you want them to? Um, you know, some things in the economy are 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 better, and, and you know, but but the the narrative in the uh, in the news 
is really not not a good narrative. And, and Stephen, I, I I speak as a former automotive executive, uh-huh. CEO, uh-huh. Uh, who who left the business in 2003, partially because um, of the outsourcing and partially because of the drive to Mexico and the drive to drive jobs out of here. And in the end, I'm a blue-collar Macomb County guy who believes in America and believes in jobs. Uh-huh. And the simple question I have, and this simple thing, and then I'll, I'll let you go, is, is, and I know there's all kinds of nuances and environmental and, and, and a lot of other things, but the simple question is, do you want, would you rather have a great job and great opportunities, or would you rather have your, your government benefits? Uh, take over more and more of your life and your income and, and be satisfied with that. And that's, that's the fundamental question to me. And, yeah. I, and I think most people would rather have opportunities, have jobs, and, and earn their own way through the world and, and, and get it. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on in automation and a lot of disruption. But sure. if the economy is growing, we can, we can absorb all these jobs. And there's, there's phenomenal jobs out there. And there's, Lots of things out there that can be done that that aren't being done, um, you know. So I, I just hope that that uh, yeah. Mr. Trump would do them. I yeah. mean, I would in, encourage his example to take uh, companies and bring on uh, low-income people and people that haven't had a chance and bring them on an apprenticeship for a year and and say, you know, company by the end of this year, I want this person, you know, to be certified in a skill, and I'll pick up the wages for the first year. The government will. You can't lay off any of your current employees to do this. Just bring on a young person or bring on 10 young people right. and let the government pay their wages for a year. Teach them how to be an HVAC guy. Teach them how to be an electrician, a plumber, a builder, a contractor, a, a machinist, and things like that. And, and just incentivize companies to, to take these people off, off, off unemployment and off no hope and bring them in there. Yeah. There's plenty of jobs out there. John, John, I, I, I really appreciate uh, you calling and making that point. I may not agree with everything you said, uh, but I think uh, it's a really important uh, perspective. And and uh, the one pl- place that we would agree is that I you know I have to hope too that Donald Trump will do the things that you're talking about uh, that, it, that, yeah. that he will uh, help create more opportunity for people. I'm I'm I think less optimistic about it maybe than you are, but uh, but uh, but I have to hope that that's uh, what's going to happen. And and again, thanks for for listening and of course for calling in. Uh, I'm going to take one more call with you, Arlie, before I let you go. Terry in Roseville. Terry, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking the phone call. Uh-huh. Um, my husband and I did not vote for Trump, um, and we have lots of friends who who did, and we we just can't figure it out. I think what's on my mind is that some of the friends that we have that were Trump supporters, I, I guess they are feeling marginalized, and they are feeling that for the past eight years, they haven't been heard. Uh-huh. And that's a concern uh-huh. to me. Um, I, these are well-meaning, good people that are by no means, um, you know, they're, some of them are blue collar, some are white collar. And I just, I cannot understand it. I can't understand with lack of decorum and just some of the things that had come out of Donald Trump's mouth leading up right. to the election. Um, I'm baffled with many of the comments that were, um, frankly, excusing his behavior. Well, that's locker room talk, or, well, Bill Clinton did this, or Bill Clinton did that. It's not acceptable. 
And they honestly believe that this man will be good for our country because he's a businessman and he will do away with all sorts of funding for those who need it the most, our most vulnerable citizens. And that, frankly, it's, it's frightening to me. And I'm really disheartened that Macomb County voted the way that it did. Yeah. Terry, I, I appreciate uh, your comments there and I appreciate uh, your calling in. Uh, Arlie Hoekshield, uh, b- before I let you go, uh, th- that seems to get to this idea that that uh, in some ways these voters are being fooled. In some ways these voters are being taken advantage of, that they don't really uh, understand what will happen uh, as the result of uh, somebody like Donald Trump being elected. Yeah, um, I think uh, that that's right. I mean, the previous talker, uh, call-in person, John, was saying, oh, he was for jobs. Well, of course, Democrats, people who voted Democratic, are for jobs. And and what Trump is offering now is uh, is, um, someone in charge of jobs who opposes the minimum wage for starters. You know, and uh, it's uh, so, yes, I think people have gone for Trump and, in fact, felt elated at, at his and, and quickly forgive the things that they, too, have moral objection to among the people I interviewed for strangers. They 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 cringed at much that Trump said, but something else made them enthusiastic. And that was, I think, a sense of, for the first time, being recognized as a stratum of society, you know, white, blue collar, and um, even middle class. Um, they felt ignored before. And he's, uh, he said, I see you, and I'm going to make you great again. And um, uh, but we'll have to see yeah. uh, whether uh, anything they want is going to happen. And I don't think that it, when disappointment sets in, that the scales will fall from their eyes. Gosh, we haven't gotten good <laughs> jobs, and now people are earning less than before, and um, he cannot single-handedly reverse uh, the trends of globalization. I think um, you know they will then be invited to uh, to blame somebody else. Yeah. I think what we really need to do now is um, first defend um, uh, values that we already have, and that includes a free press, which I think uh, uh, may be uh, under attack, the Constitution, the anti-emolument uh, clause. Yeah. You know, you're not supposed to self-enrich right. uh, when you're in public office. And um, and then reach out. I think we have to undivide the country and reach out to people you disagree with. See if you can find common ground and see if uh, an alternative, one uh, that can be offered to um, working Americans, blue-collar America, uh, an alternative to Trump. In other words, I think a lot of people voted for Trump because they didn't see anything else. They didn't else see anything else, too. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Arlie Russell Hochschild, sociologist and author of Strangers in Their Own Land, Anger and Mourning on the American Right. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. 
All right. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about voter behavior and people voting against what seems to be their own interests. We're going to change the subject just a little, though, to talk about the clustering of like-minded America, uh, how we live in communities that don't represent larger swaths of America and how that affects the choices that we make. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Music. News. Community. Culture. Local. Global. Detroit. This is 1019 WDET. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about voter behavior and people voting against what seems to be their own interest, a subject that has been in real focus since Donald Trump became the 45th president of the United States. And a lot of that focus has been right here in the state of Michigan, in Macomb County, right near Detroit, where voters helped make Donald Trump the president of the United States, despite being a blue-collar county that has heavy dependency, for instance, on things like the Affordable Care Act, uh, the Medicaid expansion uh, under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Macomb County is one of the leading counties in Michigan in terms of people who are taking advantage of that expanded Medicaid program, yet they voted for Donald Trump, who has promised to end the Affordable Care Act and hasn't said that he would replace it with something that would take care of those people. Uh, Why do people do that? And are we right when we say that those people are voting against their own interests? Or is there something more sophisticated at work here? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, We'll work your comments into the conversation. Joining me now to talk more about this subject is Bill Bishop. He's a journalist and author of The Big Sort, The Clustering of Like-Minded America is Tearing Us Apart. Uh, Bill, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Absolutely. Uh, And I should also say, Bill Bishop uh, was my boss 25 years ago. Oh, no. Uh, When when I was a young journalist working in uh, in central Kentucky, uh, Bill was uh, the deputy editorial page editor of the newspaper I worked for, and I was a young editorial writer. So we've known each other a long time. so deep. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So, Bill, I I, want to start there in, in Kentucky, where uh, where we both worked 25 years ago, uh, where you grew up uh, in central Kentucky as well, I believe. Um, and you and I, we spent a lot of time going to eastern Kentucky. Uh, I remember you would uh, often sort of grab me in the newsroom and say, hey, let's go let's go to Whitesburg today and see what's going on there. Um, and uh, that, that sort of is one of those areas that where this question always comes up. Do the people who live uh, in these isolated and deeply impoverished places, vote against their own interests 
when they are voting Republican the way they do uh, in overwhelming numbers these days. I mean, uh, when we were in Kentucky, there were some Democrats still uh, who were able to win elections there. Now uh, that seems almost impossible uh, in, in most of these in most of these places. Uh, your take on it is a little different. Uh, your take is about in your book is about how. Uh, the divisions that exist among us in the ways that we live are what drive some of this decision making uh, and that it makes it really difficult to build the kinds of coalitions that would have people in eastern Kentucky, for instance, see kinship or common interest with poor people in uh, cities like Detroit uh, or cities like Flint, Michigan. Uh, the, the idea that we don't live together and don't see commonality is what, as you say, is tearing us apart. Well, yeah, and, and that it's like policy smolishy, you know, that's, uh, policy has nothing to do with how people vote. I mean, what you're discussing is what Larry Bartels, a political scientist, calls the, the folklore of democracy, that uh, pe- you know, policy, people vote for certain policies, and if those policies are not enacted, then they vote for someone else the next time. And that ain't the way it works. <laughs> I mean, uh, we talk, you've talked a lot. I mean, this is a good example of why maybe people in outside of cities voted for Trump and don't, you know, hate us in the media is that we talk about why poor people vote against their self-interest. Well, I used to live in a 99% Bernie Levin precinct in Austin that was extraordinarily rich. Uh-huh. And you've been at it for half an hour and you haven't talked about uh, why rich people vote against their interests. Why? Uh, that's right. For, I mean, because the fact is these policies have very little to do with why people vote uh, the way they do. When we looked at how and why people were clustering in uh, together with people who voted alike, uh, they didn't didn't seek out people who were Democrats. Democrats didn't seek out other Democrats. They sought out people who lived the way they lived, and uh, they joined their tribe. And uh, and that's how people vote. They vote for uh, uh, their social identity, uh, and and that's why the divisions are so stark because they're not about policy. Right. Uh, they're about how uh, who we are, who we think we are, and in a in a world where social identity is constantly in flux. Now we're not. You know, we're not union members. We're not. We change jobs. What does family mean anymore? What is a community? Uh, and politics is one of those areas where we can assert ourselves and define who we are. And and really, policy has nothing to do with that. And and because policy has nothing to do with it, and as you say, it's about voting the way uh, voting to reflect who you are or who you think you are. Uh, as you point out, I think the, 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 the great sort of point that you just made there is that th- we see this behavior uh, reflected not just among poor people or poor whites, that we see it sort of across economic strata and across racial strata. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people, for instance, who will make the criticism that African-Americans uh, don't 
outvote their interests by uh, by consistently voting as strongly as they do for Democrats. We hear that a lot. We hear that criticism a lot. Uh, right. But but your analysis there about it not being about policy would also apply uh, in that in 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 that instance or wealthy people as you point out who don't appear to, to and, vote their and then when you don't see other people either uh who differ from you then the tendency is for like-minded groups to become more extreme over time in the way that they're like-minded and and uh and so people move to the extreme and become even more uh embattled and and assertive about about who they are and it just you know we end up and part of that i think is because we've lost representation of groups you know we no longer the church doesn't speak for a group of people essentially you know there's the council of churches used to be a strong player in national policy unions you know have disappeared and because people no longer and this is not only people in the united states but people across the globe and in industrialized countries no longer trust groups to represent them. Yeah. They want to represent themselves. Yeah. And uh, and so you have this breakdown of the groups that used to keep democracy together, at the same time this assertion of social identity as old forms of identity break down, and you end up with this mess that we've got. Yeah. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, let's go to Judy in Detroit. Judy, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's sure. a pleasure to be on your show. Absolutely. Um, I listen to you most days. Oh, that's very good. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a little concerned about the attempt to identify one or two um reasons that people voted the way they did. Um, and uh, let me suggest that there are, within the electorate, there's a very broad, um, a very broad cross-section of people. And the people that we're talking about mm-hmm. have characteristics that differ greatly from each other, no matter what their class race or gender identity is. Um, So let me suggest a few of those. Everybody is more or less educated. It may be that people with more education simply know better about how the system works. They may have had more experience with that. People are more or less interested in the political process. I can show you people who don't give a damn. They don't vote. They don't see that it has anything to do with their lives. And some of us are intensely interested in the political process. People are more or less intelligent. We often lose sight of the fact that intelligence is an important part of how people vote, and that delusion and self-delusion are a big part of how people see themselves in the world. People are more or less gullible. (laughs) They're more or less susceptible to a marketing ploy or a marketing message. Uh, To me, that's one of the things that was key about um, how people voted relative to Trump. Yeah. Some looked at him and said, this is a charlatan, 
And others looked at him and said, well, he's certainly saying what I want to <laughs> right, hear and what right. I believe. Yeah. Judy, Judy, uh, great points, uh, and I'm glad you, uh, you you called to make those. I think uh, uh, Bill Bishop is, is making very similar points uh, about that, that complicated mix of why people do the things they do and that they don't always reflect uh, rationality, uh, uh, for instance, or, or, or policy. Uh, let's take one more uh, call before we end the segment. Betty in Imlay City. Uh, Betty, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Fine, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I, I believe that the people who voted for Trump, uh, thinking that this was in their own best self-interest, forget their history, that originally... Um, the white people were the disenfranchisers, and that those are the things that brought around affirmative action and uh, and uh, other other you know things for women. And uh, now they're the ones that are feeling disenfranchised. And I guess I take a harsher attitude toward it, and I think too bad. You you know you now know how other people felt. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, uh, Betty, uh, great, great point, and I think that's uh, that's one of the dynamics going on here. Uh, Bill Bishop, before before I let you go, uh, talk about some of the things that 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 help cure this. I mean, you talk about the the sort of diminishment of institutions, uh, the the separate ways we live. Is there any is there any hope <laughs> to to sort of reverse those trends? Well, it's, uh, this is sort of the 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 problem of modernity when uh, you know we've we've gotten rid of all of our gods, we've gotten rid of our traditions, we're now, this is where the left and the right agree. The left thinks every every individual ought to be free socially, and the right uh, thinks that every individual ought to be free economically, and they've both kind of gotten what they want. And now the, the, the standard unit of uh, American society is the individual person, right. and, uh, and the individual person is out there flapping around in the breeze, trying to to maintain himself, to create a brand, right? We're told to create a brand, and, and we, we create identities, and that's our job every day. And so depression rates skyrocket, anxiety rates skyrocket, and, uh, uh, and we clutch on to ways to define ourselves, and one of them is, is uh, uh, which party we belong to, which tribe we belong to. And in some studies, it that has a, a greater prejudicial effect than uh, than race, yeah. and uh, and so yeah, I don't know I don't know how you turn back the clock. I don't know how you not become a, a, a modern nation. I mean, this is just where we are. Yeah. All right, uh, Bill Bishop, journalist and author of The Big Sort: The Clustering of Like-Minded America Is Tearing Us Apart. Uh, thanks for being with us on Detroit today. Hi. It was great to hear your voice as well. <laughs> uh, be good. All right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about uh, the possibility that the state will close dozens of low-performing schools in the city of Detroit. Uh, Chastity Pratt-Dossie of Bridge Magazine is here to explain what's going on. Stay with us on Detroit Today.